0: messages that we're doing this summer are unique. Today's is why doctrine matters. <clears throat> the parts that the kids would miss out that aren't here today and those that hear this on video are the, are the images that I'm about to show. So I met a man. It was just kind of a a thing that just played out unexpectedly, but I'm sure it was all by God's hands. I'm going to be extra careful in how I tell this story because it's an adult story. And so you have to put on your thinking caps if you want to follow it with an adult mind. <clears throat> There's a, f- the man I, I drove, I, I was asked to drive his vehicle while he drove Uh, his other special vehicle. Uh, He couldn't drive them both. So one was being worked on and was done. So I had to drive the other one while he drove the special one. And I learned a lot about the man in my short acquaintance, the short interactions with him that day. Let's start with the farm. I drove him to his house, which had a barn behind it. And also what it had all over the place, uh, by the way, Um, I'll tell you, his special vehicle was a school bus. You'll see that enter the screen behind me. Then what I noticed when I got there with his vehicle right behind the school bus was the farm animals. You'll see them also enter the video illustration that kids would love to be watching. So you can just keep your eyes on that video behind me. Uh, The man bought the school bus because he was retired, and he wanted to do something special for special needs children. So he bought his own school bus and voluntarily provided free transportation to special needs children as they needed, even special events that he would create. Now, about the farm animals, it was interesting because, you know, those of you who don't know, Farm animals are usually there because they're going to be, in some form or another, they're going to benefit the humans. Maybe the chickens will be producing eggs or the beef will, or the cows will be producing either dairy products or beef or whatever. They're going to consume products created by the animals, sometimes the animals themselves, but not this guy. Every duck, goat, Cow, donkey, every farm animal had a name. Yeah, this was a special man. Now, I didn't know a ton about him except, what a guy. What a nice guy. I was considered and classified as totally and permanently disabled at the time when I had met a very doctrinally sound preacher. And he impacted me for my life. He, he got all of his Bible doctrine out of the Bible. <laughs> go figure. But he, he and I had had some arguments. And most of the time, he was right. And I had to repent. But he knew that I knew the Bible. And he knew that I was a servant of the Lord. And so he called me and asked me if I could go with him. Could I walk you know, in the hospital? And I said, sure. He goes, I've, I've got an urgent matter. I need you. So he came and he picked me up. And we drove together to the hospital. <clears throat> and this is the part that I'm, I'm going to keep gingerly t- telling you so that your adult minds can understand. So the man, um, his son, his, his, him and his wife's son, he told everybody that his son had leukemia. And I think he did. But he also had very newly discovered thing called AIDS. And he didn't want everybody to know that, so he didn't tell that part to everybody. And his son was dying. People would pray about him and his son, and, and I didn't realize it, but he'd gotten active. I learned in the car on the way to the hospital he'd become more active in the church, and he was actually serving communion and passing offering trays. He was involved in serving in the church, and people would ask him, how are you doing? He'd say, I'm fine. I'm fine. I've been. I've been listening. I got some cassettes. I ordered them uh, from Kenneth Copeland, and, and they're really helping me a lot. And so people go, okay, that's good. You've got a way to cope. That's good. You're listening to Kenneth Copeland. That's helpful. And I don't think the preacher knew this, and I didn't know this, but we learn later. And what happened is when his son died, um, he seemed to be okay. But he kept saying to people, I've been listening to Kenneth Copeland tapes, and it's been helping me. So, that fateful morning came. This is the day that I needed to be picked up and taken to the hospital with him for a hospital visit. That fateful morning, he didn't do his normal thing where he's up before his wife and he feeds all the animals, he drinks his coffee, he he'd, reads the newspaper, and then he goes and feeds the animals. And his wife woke up, as she normally did at the normal time, and she's in the kitchen pouring her coffee, and she says to him, she sees he's just staring out the back glass door. Are you going to feed the animals? And he looked at her like he was shocked that she would talk to him. So he put his coffee cup down, and he got up, didn't say to her, he's a talkative man, but he didn't talk. He put his coffee cup down, and he walked out the sliding glass door to the barn. She received a phone call. It was later in the morning, so she received a phone call, and it was for him. She said, I'll go get him. This is back when phones had wires on them. You know. <laughs> I'll, I'll go get him. So she puts the phone down, she walks outside. And as she walks outside, she sees him walking toward her, carrying a double-barreled shotgun. And she says, what are you doing? As he raises it and fires one round at her and then eliminates himself. And as we get to the hospital, I, I learned this story along the way. And she survived, and she's had the surgeries to remove what needs to be removed so that she could survive. And as we get there, he prays with her, and I'd already met her, but I didn't know her very well, so he held her hand prayed with her, and I'm standing there just kind of observing and praying with them. And when he got done with the prayer, she said to him, why didn't somebody stop him from listening to the Kenneth Copeland? She went on to explain what she listened to the Kenneth Copeland tapes with him sometimes, and Kenneth Copeland was in a particular mode in his life where he was preaching that if your children... Are struggling, it's because of some secret sin in your life. So he was blaming himself for his son's death. I've witnessed this myself in an independent Christian church where a very godly man had stepped up to the plate because here I was, I was going to be going to Bible college, I came to the uh, adult class, and I felt like instead of going to the high school class where I belonged, went to the adult class, which was not a Bible study. It was supposedly a Bible study. It was called Chat and Chew. And everybody went around the room and shared what their opinion was of what this verse meant, as they would read verses. And there was no conclusion of actually what it meant. It was just, well, to me it means this, and to me it means this, and to me it means that. And came around to me, and I said, can we just talk about what it actually means, not anybody's opinion? Can we, that's, that's what I want to know. <clears throat> well... Uh, They decided to start a special class just for me, and another girl joined, and we grew in the faith, and the man who led the study, which was an amazing study, he was a very godly man, was an elder in the church, and after he got done with the study, at some point he had a heart attack, and he had quadruple bypass surgery, and returned to the church, and as he came to sit in the church that Sunday morning, he was met with a youth minister who was preaching that morning, and the youth minister decided to preach that if you have any physical ailments or any stressful problems, it's because you have sin in your life. And we had just announced this man, he's been healed after all these surgeries. He's finally come back to us, this respected elder in the church. We're glad to have you. We just prayed for him and thanked God that he was here. And then he just got insulted by the preacher the youth minister who is preaching. So I've heard this firsthand. I didn't really know much about Kenneth Copeland. Do you know much about Kenneth Copeland? At the end of June of this year, Forbes magazine estimated, look at this, his net worth at $780 million. Now, he has made his wealth as a televangelist. He even mocks people who say, Why don't you just fly on a regular plane like everybody else instead of hiring a special pilot for your personal jet? And he says he wouldn't get half his work done if he had to fly like everybody else. He brags about being a wealthy man, a very wealthy man, on a regular basis. He teaches things like, You are a God. That's what he does. Kenneth Copeland, I didn't know much about him. And by the way, we shouldn't resent anyone who has a lot of money. Just because somebody earns money and makes money, that doesn't make them evil. But at the same time, this man has made a whole lot of money and spent a whole lot of money. And he's still worth $780 million. And his, I do consider him a brother, but I also consider him to be a false teacher. I do not... Encourage anyone to read or pay attention to anything he says, because I've been a first-hand witness of lives being destroyed because of the false doctrine. Let me talk to you about another person. Have you ever heard of Hal Lindsey? Yeah, I I know about Hal Lindsey. Um, it was an interesting thing that that uh, I've noticed. I don't watch the news. I don't, I don't watch any type of news. I, I try to get my news carefully, and I, so I just don't watch it. But I remember a time, it was a few years back, when he was making the rounds. He was certainly making the rounds in the year 2000. He's still today consp- considered to be the expert on end times. I remember going into a, a church in Houston, and the library um, had Hal Lindsey books in there, and I questioned the leadership. Why, why do we have these in here? This is a false prophet. But CNN, PBS, Fox News, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, all of them, all of the major networks prop him up even today, as old as he is, but even today as the Leader and prophecy. He understands end times. According to the experts, according to the media, he's the expert. Hmm. Tell you a little bit about him. So you'll see up behind me, uh, the New York Times uh, said that he was the, his book that came out in 1970, was the best selling nonfiction. Of the 70s. You, you you understand nonfiction, right? Like a dictionary, encyclopedia, book of facts. The New York Times claimed his book was a book of facts and labeled it as the number one selling book of facts in the 70s. You know what was happening in the 70s, right? This was the hippie thing. And his book came out, and the hippies loved it. So I'll tell you a little bit more about this. Here's the book, it's called The Late Great Planet Earth. That's, a, that's what the original one looks like. You, if you want to have fun and research this, because sometimes you do this, sometimes you'll hear me say something and then you will go and do some research. Um, I highly recommend, go ahead and look at this. There, there's about half of the scholars out there that have looked at his writings and uh, consider themselves experts on the matter, believe that he didn't even write the book. Notice on the book behind me, you see a second author's name. That author is hard to find, but apparently wrote about 21 books. Some believe that it was ghostwritten by this author, it's a lady, Carol, um, and that he later gave her credit on the back of the book because he was forced to, because it was discovered someone else helped write the book at the very least. But I wanna Give you this. It was, it was written in 1970 and has sold around 35 million copies. That is a worldwide success as far as books are concerned. In that book, The Late Great Planet Earth, which was very trendy, so if you read it, don't feel guilty. Everybody was reading it. He predicted that the world will end. Do you know when the world is supposed to end? 1988. The best-selling fact book of the 70s turns out to not be fact. He predicted the end of the world would happen in 1988 in arguably the best-selling Christian prophetic book of all time. And he got it wrong. I don't know if you noticed, but 1988 is past. Anybody notice? Uh, he's considered today, if you look him up, if you Google him, you're probably going to find his name the father of modern prophecy. Today, he's the expert. It's where we get a lot of our false doctrine about end times today from Hal Lindsey, who predicted the end of the world and got it wrong. Let me remind you what the Old Testament says about prophets who prophesy, and what their prophecies, if their prophecies come come turn out to be not true. This is what the Bible teaches about it. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So it says that we're supposed to give the death penalty to any prophet who proclaims the word of God to be a prophecy and it doesn't come true. That's the law in the Old Testament. God takes it very seriously when people presume to speak on his behalf and they're not doing it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, my paraphrase, and you can read it just this way in some translations, do not go beyond what is written. I said that recently to a group of Christians of over 100. One of them came up to me afterwards and said to me, well, what about Peter when he was on the house? So, you know, when Cornelius came to visit, he was on the roof of the house. And, and you know, he's got an angel coming down and the Word of God speaking to him. It's like that wasn't, he couldn't point to Scripture and go, that is the Word of God. It just came out of, out of a, you know, an audible voice. So you can't say you have to measure it by Scripture because he didn't. That's interesting because it is Scripture. it He's referring to Scripture. This in Acts chapter 10. It's a weird argument, a very, very strange argument. He was trying to justify himself because he goes around telling people that God told him something. He goes around telling people, God told me. Let me tell you something. If anybody ever tells you God told you something, that is, and if it's true, it is equal to this. What's the difference in God telling you something and God telling you something? So if it's equal to that, you better be careful what you're accepting. better be careful what you're saying if you're saying that. And this guy regularly says, God told him stuff. And I'm, I'm Leary. You'll You'll notice with me, I rarely ever say the word inspiration unless I'm talking about this book, because I know this is the Word of God. And this is special. I don't think anything is equal to this. This is God's Word. Let's talk about this quickly. The seven churches in Revelation, you remember reading about them in uh, chapters 2 through 3? Th- there were two churches that were considered okay. You're doing all right. The other five were doing poorly. And if you'll notice the main content describing why some were okay and some were doing poorly, the major thing that we can see in there is doctrine. Doctrine. You do not put up with the teachings of the Nicolaitans. You reject the teachings of the Nicolaitans, the first denomination. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is in New Testament times, the first century before the Bible was complete, God inspired John to write this in his letter that there are many false prophets at that time. Don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. Now, why would God inspire John to have this in our Bibles? Is it possible that we might not know? That something might come in front of us that somebody is presenting as from God but is not? Uh Aha! It was happening in the New Testament times. Obviously, it can happen today. So always test the spirits, and I will give you a heads up. If you don't know how to do that, I highly recommend use God's Word, the Bible. Let this be your measuring rod. When the church had to make a decision, what belongs in the Bible and what doesn't belong in the Bible, and if you need recommendations on books on how to learn, that, how, how to learn the details of how that came about and why it is good, what they called the Bible was the canon. And what they had to do is use some sort of measuring instruments to figure out what should be in the Bible. And so there, was, there were a lot. What belongs in the Bible and what doesn't. And when it finally was done, the canon, that's a measuring rod, to figure out what belongs in the Bible. And when they were all done, they realized we have the canon. The measuring rod for all things. The Word of God. This is the canon. So... We should always use this to measure all things. Especially if somebody's going to claim something is from God, then check it against what we know is from God. Does that not make sense? If somebody says, well, God told me, it's never going to be in conflict with this if God really told them. So just use this as your measuring rod, the canon. Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah, great prophet of old, he said this, thus says the says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Have we known some modern day prophets like that? Of course we have. I just mentioned a couple of them. Back in Jeremiah's day, there were false prophets that would say things that other people wanted to hear. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, at the end of his ministry, he said, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And he was prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem. And before that, you will know this is going to happen because people will proclaim that they are from God and they will even do miracles but will not be from God. So think about that. Supernatural manifestations can happen through a vessel, a person. Somebody could actually do something very supernatural and say, see, I'm from God, and not be from God. Once again, use this as your measuring rod. Not whatever sensational thing they tell you or demonstrate. Use this. Paul gave a warning. Paul was speaking to the elders at the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, and he said, "'Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock.'" And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This happened in modern times. I don't have a slide for this, but when, remember the Cane Ridge revival that I've talked to you about that happened in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, where they basically said, you can come and preach. Anybody can come and preach as long as you leave the creeds of man out. We're just going to do the Bible. No creeds of man. Well, a small group of people that call themselves shakers heard about this, said, oh, they don't want to have creeds. We'll, we'll go down there and give them some, creed, some creeds. We got creeds. So they went down there and they began, they got lost first, which is kind of symbolic in my opinion. But they went down there and they started peeling off some of these people because the people come up with things like this. What? Your church doesn't have a, a headquarters where somebody somewhere is telling them how to think? What? That's not the European way. They would talk like that. No, you got to have, you got to be able to, you should write it all down. Write down the doctrines. And they were saying, no, the the doctrines in the Bible are good enough. The teachings of God are good enough. We don't need to add to it or take away from it. This is just the Bible. But so many people would be confused, like, but but your interpretation and your interpretation, I don't know. And the Shakers would be, "Um, we'll give you, we'll give you, we'll write it down. We'll give you creeds. And the Shakers church would not exist today if they hadn't gone down there and peeled off people out of the group that was trying to just follow the Bible. Jesus also spoke of this in his Sermon on the Mount. Probably my favorite chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter... By it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. There are people that have sensational things they want to lure you in with that are not Leading people to Christ. Where are those people that they're leading to Christ? You should be able to tell they are of Christ because there are people they are leading to Christ. And you can see it. Notice this, though. I want you to pay careful attention. It says that it's easy to go through the wide gate and on the wide road. That's easy. Hard is the narrow gate and the narrow road. Only few will go through that. Many will go on the wide through the wide gate, and the wide, here's what happens. People say, "Well, I think it's okay. You know, I know the Bible says this, but okay, well, and I will, the Bible says this, and this is what we have to do. That's a narrow view. Yes, it is. Well, I want to be. I want to say, well, it's okay. Sometimes you just widen that gate. Well, if you go through there, where does that lead? To hell. Why? I, the Bible says this, and, and so that's a narrow, very narrow road. But, you know, I've got a, I've got a nephew, and uh, I think it'll be okay if he does this. Well, you just widen that road. Where does that road go? To hell! <laughs> and many will go down that wide road, and many will go through that wide gate. And hear me. Let me help you out with another analogy. So it's a narrow gate. These are the parameters, what the Bible says. Well, it won't hurt anything if I do this. You just widen yourself and you can't fit through that gate. Do you understand the analogy? And pay careful attention because it will. many are going to go on the wide way. Few will go the narrow way. Whatever is trendy is probably wrong. Whatever is trendy in Christianity, is probably wrong. Remember that book I told you about? 35 million sold worldwide. All kinds of movies were based on that book. All kinds of doctrines have spun off of that book. Very, very trendy. To this day, Hal Lindsay is considered to be an expert, but he's a false prophet. Very, very popular stuff is preached and taught and in movies in the name of Christ, but is false. And if it's a wide gate, and if it's many will enter through it that lead to destruction, and we see that it's happened in the church historically, and it is happening today, is it possible that trendy things in the church could find themselves, find their ways into songs that we sing that we might think are Christian, but are actually false doctrine? One of my favorite songs, in fact, the, on my podcast, the most listened to podcast is about grace. You can scroll through and go all the way to the bottom, and that's probably the first one on there, grace. And, and one of the things I highlight in there is a great song, a hymn, called Amazing Grace. I love the hymn Amazing Grace, don't be confused, but there is a line in that song, I reflect Refuse to sing. Because the line in the song says, and it's talking about the saving grace. It's not talking about normal grace that you get on a daily basis. It's talking about the saving grace of Jesus. It says, the, it appeared to me the hour I first believed. And that is not biblical. The saving grace of Christ does not come upon belief. If you, we're going to talk about this more next week. James said, even the demons believe and, yeah, are afraid. It's, it doesn't happen. The, our, Paul, Paul, the, 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 one of the most <laughs> repeated authors in the New Testament. Paul, the book of Acts follows Paul. Paul became a believer on the road to Damascus but he didn't have his sins forgiven till after he was baptized. Acts 22.16, read it for yourself. Now what are you waiting for? Days later. Now what are you waiting for? Arise, be baptized, washing away your sins. Wash away your sins and calling on the Lord. So he hadn't even had his sins washed away. So I don't sing that line in Amazing Grace. I love the song, but a trendy doctrine made it into that song that is not biblical. And it's an old hymn. I remember walking up to P.T. Butler, who's one of my favorite professors. I walked up to his office, and uh, as I walked to his door, he had one of the Gaither songs. And I love the Gaithers. I met Bill Gaither. I think they write great songs. But one of the songs that was, it was was a poster on his door, and it said, You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. This is not a false doctrine thing. This is just a funny thing. I walked up to the door and I saw this. You asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And he had taken a red marker and marked out he lives within my heart. And he wrote, I know he lives because of the historicity, the archaeology, the scientific evidence. And he just, like Because it's not a very good argument. If somebody comes up to you and say, how do you know that Jesus lives? And you say, he lives within my heart. That's not going to convince anyone of anything. You asked me how I know he lives. You just did, you didn't answer the question by saying, I feel it. That doesn't answer the question. It's not a false doctrine, but it's not a great line. He lives within my heart. That's how I know. Well, that doesn't prove anything. It doesn't even answer the question. <clears throat> so don't. I'm not picking on the Gaithers for false doctrine in their songs. It's just a funny illustration. I realize, oh, that song really doesn't answer the question. Uh, but he does live. So lo- I love to sing the song, just so you know. I still love the song. You, are you familiar with the book of Titus? You, you know the book? So Titus is, um, is a short book, and in, in the book of Titus, Titus is written to um, an evangelist who was left on the island of Crete to make sure that the leadership, elders, and deacons meet the qualification and the church goes down the right path. The church was in a very, very uh, rough location, but a young evangelist was left in charge there. And at the beginning of Titus, chapter 1, verse 9, notice the content. Talking about the qualifications of an elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Who contradict it, excuse me. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. It's talking about the Jews. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So a qualification of elders is to correct false doctrine, which means they have to know true doctrine. They are to stop people who are teaching false doctrine, and they are to teach true doctrine and ensure that that's what's taught in the church by others. Peter wrote a letter, his second letter says this at the very beginning of chapter 2, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Are you familiar with the book of Jude? The book of Jude comes just before Revelation. It's an extremely short book. It's only one chapter. So you don't, you don't say chapter 1. You just Jude, and then you have the verses. So short. And Jude actually starts this way. Beloved, I wanted to write to you about the salvation we share, because that's a fun topic, and you know we all understand this. I wanted to write to you about that, but I had to write to you that there's some false teachers who've, come, who've crept into the church. So God inspired him. Instead of writing about the happy talk, i got to talk to you about the, the hard talk. People have, it, by their greed... Is, now think about that for a minute. Why would greed motivate somebody to do false teaching? Because that's the way it works. If you tell people things that will get them to keep on tuning in to you, they, you might also get them to start contributing to you. You might be able to be on TV and tell people, you know, I'm praying for you right now. By the way, recently Kenneth Copeland prayed to make... He said in his prayer, you can look this up yourself... That COVID has been done away with. It's over. He prayed it gone, and it's gone forever. It's never going to return to the earth again. He prayed it and made it go away. He proclaimed that, and it's over. Did you know that? Isn't that good? Wow! How about that? So there's there you go. There's a prophecy he's made, and he's but he's you tell people this kind of stuff like I'm gonna I pray that you will be healed. Send your money, and you will be healed. Send your money, and your problems will go away. Send your money, and your anxiety will go away. Send your money, and your stresses will diminish. Send your money, and your children will talk to you again. Send your money, and then you'll feel like there's a purpose with that retirement money you didn't know what to do with instead of gambling it. Send your money. All this greed will build the pocketbooks of false teachers. And a little bit further in Jude, it continues, Yet in like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Pay attention. Even the archangel Michael, the top angel of all angels, refused to say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. In a prayer at a church camp, I was in the prayer. If you're like me, when somebody's praying, like if, uh, if the preacher is standing on the stage and he prays, you're, you've got your eyes closed and, and you're listening and you're, you're saying things in your mind like, yes, Lord, please, yes. And you're saying this, you know, you're with it in the prayer. It's one person's voice for all of us. So I'm doing that as this youth minister is praying at a campfire at a, an evening service at this camp for high school students in Texas. And as he's praying, you know, he's talking to the Lord on my behalf, and I'm, yes, Lord, yes, please help these children, whatever he's saying in the prayer. And in the middle of the prayer, he goes, and Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Like, oh, my goodness. I'm in a prayer with my Lord, and now all of a sudden I just got sucked into a prayer to the devil. I felt like I was yanked out of a spiritual moment into something horrible. I mean, you think about it. If I'm saying a prayer here on the stage and you're with me and we're talking to the Lord and we're thanking Him and we're praising Him and we're giving Him requests and all of a sudden I start saying, and devil, here's some words I have for you. In the middle of the prayer, I'm not praying to the devil. Why would I drag you through a prayer to the devil? But it's trendy. If you, if you attend particular churches today, trendy churches, churches that have done very well through COVID, you will have people on a regular basis do things like, in the middle of the service, pray to the devil. Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. That's what they'll do. That's a prayer to the devil. Christians, are we supposed to do that? Do you see the scripture up behind me in Jude. Even the archangel Michael refused to address the devil. He said, may the Lord rebuke. He didn't say, I rebuke you. May the Lord. I got a a couple of strange phone calls from a lady, very quiet, humble lady, who believed that an evil spirit was disturbing them. Whatever your beliefs about evil spirits' involvements in us, what we do know is the devil is powerful enough to make us think an evil spirit is doing something. So at least start with that premise. And one of the calls she made to me, she had two boys and her husband all around her. She was lying in bed and feeling like this spirit wouldn't leave her alone. So she called me. And, and she's, she's got a shake in her voice. She's very, very upset. You can hear them also. They're all upset because she's upset. I don't know if you've been around someone who is telling you they see the spirit in front of them. It's right here. Have you ever experienced that? Somebody's telling you. I mean, imagine being in the room with them. Imagine being in the room with somebody, it's dark, it's at nighttime, everybody wants to go to bed, and this person says, There's an evil spirit. Do you see it? That's creepy because you don't see it, but they see it. And all of a sudden, you feel like, What's happening? She calls me on the phone and she's explaining this to me. I asked her if she has a Bible handy. Yes, so she takes the Bible. I asked her to turn to Jude. She turns to Jude. And I asked her to look at the line in there that the archangel says to the devil, because he refused to try to condemn the devil on his own. He had the Lord rebuke the devil. So I said, I want you to read that word, the Lord rebuke you. Don't say it after me. Read it right out of your Bible. I want you to say it. As you, as you read it, say it out loud. I want to hear you do it. Um, and so I said, make sure your kids are watching, your husband's watching, read it. So she read it, and she said, the Lord rebuke you. And as soon as she said, the Lord rebuke you, and she's, she was crying, she barely got it out. She had a mousy voice, Lord rebuke you. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, as soon as she said it, she did this thing with her voice. It goes, <gasps> and it was shaky. I said, What just happened? She goes, It's gone. Are you sure? Yes. That's scripture. That's choosing to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Instead, I'm going to say, Scripture. I'm just going to read it. The Lord rebuke you. Wham! Whatever the devil is trying to do to mess up that family stopped. Right then and there, because the Word of God is powerful. I had no idea that was going to happen. I thought I was going to have to have her read it multiple times until she calmed down. That's, that was my plan. <laughs> but instead, whatever the devil was trying to do right then was undone with the Word of God. Do you remember when Jesus was trying, when the devil was trying to undo him when he was struggling with hunger because he'd fasted for 40 days? What did he do? Three times that we have recorded with the three attacks of the devil, Jesus responded with direct quotes from Scripture. This is the canon. This is the measuring rod for all things. This is the answer to any of life's complications. It's right here. It's good stuff. I have a little bit more for you. Here is the number one reason why doctrine matters, in case you're wondering. Salvation. That's the number one reason why doctrine matters. Let me give you where I get that. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 in the NIV's wording is wonderful. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. For if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Doctrine is an issue of salvation. Just like how you live your life is an issue of salvation. Just like baptism is an issue of salvation. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. What if you don't? Well, follow the reasoning. If you do it, you save yourself and your hearers. If you don't, you lose yourself and your hearers. So at the end of the message I try to always have at least an application if especially if I didn't nail it down throughout the message. So the application I like to title this morning, so what? <laughs> at the end of it all, so what? Recently Joanne Cadua, she I don't know if you know she does this when they miss services, she actually as soon as the podcast hits online, she's listening to the message. She wants to hear whatever she missed. Wow, that's cool. Some of you do that. But she calls me and she goes, I just listened to your message. And then she said, where's the so what? Huh? Where's the so what? And I thought, oh, it's one of those messages where I just ended and then prayed. It's one of those messages where I didn't have the practical applications and I said, "Well, oh, me- not all messages have a "so what?" at the end? I don't always do that. I try to answer that "so what?" through the message. This, you know it's nice when you have bullet points and so what?" But she goes, "No, no, it cut off. You, you, there was something missing, and sure enough, I don't know what happened. I had to go back in and reload it because it, it didn't have the end of the message. But here's the "so what. Number one: doctrine is an issue of salvation. What you teach what you believe is an issue of salvation it is vital if you accept so you understand this if doctrine's an issue of salvation if you don't get it right people could be lost people can be hurt number 2 scripture is our guide our canon this is the measuring rod for all things the more we know about this the better we're going to be i one of the things this scripture talks about is respecting your elders, respecting your parents, honoring your parents, and and those, those things are vital because we live in a world now where that's not happening very much. I don't know if you noticed this. I, I was working on one of the vehicles. I like to work on vehicles. I'm considered a mechanic by some people's standards. I don't consider myself that, so please don't ask me to fix your car, but... I was watching what people do these days to fix things is they'll pull it up on YouTube. Oh, how do I do this? Because like my little car, you have to take the whole bumper off to change the uh, light assembly. That's a big deal. <clears throat> so I, I get on there and I'm like YouTubing how to do a something, you know, on the car. And I go through, I think, nine videos before I actually find somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, one of the guys, he's like, first you take this and, and you stick in the screwdriver and then you twist to snap it and crack, it broke right there on the YouTube video. He goes, well, not like that. Yeah. So if I was following directions alongside him, I would have broken my vehicle. Mm-hmm. People out there assume they know everything because they're in the middle of doing it and they know nothing. Like this, for example, a young mother who has her first Little girl, first baby, and it's a girl. And she changed a diaper one time, so now she knows how to change a diaper. So next time I'm going to do it, I'm going to put a YouTube thing, and maybe it'll go viral. Uh, Maybe I'll make some money, and I'll put commercials on there. So this is how you change a baby's diaper, the second time ever in her life. She's never changed a boy's diaper, so she knows nothing about the difference. (laughs) And then there's, so then you might have a granddaughter or a daughter out there who has their first male child. And so they go to change the male child's diaper, or you might go to change for them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll change the diaper, and then you, you take the diaper, and you put it up over things so that the room doesn't get sprayed, because that's what you do. But you might get corrected, though, because somebody's watched a YouTube video of somebody who's changed a diaper twice in her lifetime, and you've done it hundreds of times, but you don't know. Mom, Dad, why are you covering? You don't have to cover. That's not how you do it. Let me show you. I know because I researched. Kids are not respecting their mothers and their grandmothers, their fathers and their grandfathers like they used to. They're not getting mentored by them because you don't know. I was sitting next to a professor who said, my daughter just had a child. And I said, well, I can buy this for you, and I can buy this, and I can buy that to help you. And she said, no, Mom, I'm going to research everything. Don't buy anything. So she said, okay, then. She's on her own. But this is where we are. This is the world that we live in. People think they just know. Let me tell you, the Internet is not your guide. This is your guide, Christians. And there's a lot of people out there that make videos on what they think of this book. It doesn't matter. This is what matters. What God says, not what the Internet says or some expert, not even what I say. If I don't steer you back to the Bible, then I'm misguiding you. Third thing, in the so what, follow follow Christians only as they follow Christ, and see two above. This is your guide. There are plenty of people, like preachers, who stand on a stage on a Sunday morning who seem like they're good Bible students and they they seem to know what they're talking about. And maybe I've earned your trust because over time I, I seem to be researched and I seem to be well articulated. I seem to point people back to the Bible. But I implore you, please don't ever take what I say as the final say. But always check it with this book. This is the measuring rod. And if we do that, we'll be the few that enter through that narrow gate and that narrow road. The road that God wants us all on, but only few will go on it. Let's pray. God, thank you very much for giving us a comprehensive plan. Help us to follow it. In Jesus' name, amen.